How is biochemistry taught here at the University of Utah School of Medicine? What is breaking bread? And finally, what is it about medical students getting free McDonald's food on a certain morning in the fall? Today on Talking to Missions and Med Student Life. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. So welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. I have a great guest today, Dr. Janet Lindsley. Hello, Dr. Lindsley. Hello. Um, and she is the biochemistry guru for their medical students. And she's going to talk biochemistry today and, and her path and how she got here. So, so Dr. Lindsley, how did it all start? How did you get interested in biochemistry? Probably back as an undergraduate, I was very practical in wanting to have a major mm-hmm. that I knew that I could make money in. I actually have very distinct memories of being a young teenager, and this was during a time when families were getting divorced. Parents were getting divorced at an incredible rate, and I was seeing friends of mine's parents getting divorced and the mothers becoming almost destitute. And this had a huge impact on me at 12, 13 years old. And where is this? This is in Utah? No, sorry. I grew up in New York on (laughs) Long Island in New York. So when I went to college, I thought, you know, I'm never going to be in that situation. I'm going to have a very practical career. And I became a chemistry major. I figured chemists always can get a job doing something. And I was mildly interested in chemistry. And then I spent a fantastic summer working on a small island doing marine biology. And I fell in love with it, and it was a great time. But I also knew that there were about three marine biologists who are hired every year in the country. And I thought, okay, marine biology is not going to do it. So it was biochemistry kind of Mm -hmm. was emerging Mm -hmm. of the two. And I went to the University of Wisconsin. After that, I was an undergrad in North Carolina and went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Absolutely loved it. Great place to live. Sorry, I shouldn't be recruiting there. But a wonderful place and had a great time getting my Ph.D., And from there, I did a postdoc at Harvard University and had a good time there, Um, really enjoyed doing research. But while I was there, I sort of started questioning if I really wanted the rest of my life to be running a research lab. And everybody around me said, of course you do. This is the greatest possible job. My dad's a PhD and runs a research lab. Even now, he's about to turn 80 and he's still writing grand proposals and running a lab and having a grand old time and said, of course, this is what you want to do. This is the greatest job ever. So I thought, okay, I guess I'll do that. And then ended up uh, applying for faculty positions, ended up at the University of Utah. Very happy. Uh, We're very blessed to have you here. Well, thank you. And uh, started my research lab and it all looked good, did what I was supposed to be doing, but didn't really like running a research lab. I found I really enjoyed, this is a little odd, but I really enjoyed writing grant proposals because it gave me an opportunity to sit back and think about science in a big picture and think about how I wanted to explain that science and draw other people in and get them excited about it. And it turned out I was pretty good at that Mm -hmm. and got all my grant proposals funded. So when you're bringing in a fair amount of money, and there are students and postdocs who are working and doing things. Everything looks good on paper. But as the years went by, I realized I really did not enjoy what I was doing, which created a bit of a challenge for me. Existential crisis. Uh, yeah, well, that's a good way of putting it, mm-hmm. an existential crisis. And uh, so about a dozen years ago, I was faced with this existential crisis and trying to think, okay, I could either keep running my lab and become an alcoholic or do something different. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had 
two small children, and it seemed like becoming an alcoholic was probably not the best game plan. I would have to report you to Child Protective Services. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. I met these children. I, you shop at Trader Joe's a lot. I run into you at Trader Joe's That's all right. the time. Yeah, That's so, right. Yeah. So deciding that I was not going to become an alcoholic, I decided I had to close down my lab mm-hmm. uh, and find something else to do. And it was. It was a real challenge because... All my life, I'd been on the straight and narrow path of doing research and running a lab, and everybody who gave me advice told me, this is, this is what you do. And all of my colleagues around here, that's what they did. And all of a sudden, I said I didn't want to do it. And I sort of felt like I was breaking from a religion in mm-hmm. a way. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a very challenging time in my life. And it took me a few years to figure out, so now what? I got really lucky at that point. And the person who is running the medical biochemistry course, this is back in the days when we had a very traditional curriculum of separate courses. This gentleman retired, and so somebody had to take over the medical biochemistry course, and I was uh, chosen as the one to do that. And much to my surprise, I found out that I loved it. I loved the physiology of it. It was very different than what I did research on. My research background is in enzyme kinetics at... uh, the, the million microsecond time scale. I'm going to nod my head to pretend like I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yes. <laughs> Anyhow, so sort of mathematical uh, how enzymes work yes. stuff. And all of a sudden, as a sort of more mature scientist, I had to go back and relearn mostly metabolism. And while as an undergraduate, I hated metabolism because it seemed like you memorize a bunch of stupid pathways to get an A on a test and you immediately forget them. Now I came about it from a totally different perspective. And I was also lucky that this was right when metabolism was getting a resurgence in interest. Mm -hmm. So I was falling into it right when a lot of great scientists were turning around and saying, holy cow, you know, metabolism kind of is important. Uh, You know, this was when the obesity epidemic was being recognized as as a huge deal. The type 2 diabetes, people were finally realizing – a, a new resurgence. And of course, this is all metabolism. And realizing that we actually don't understand type 2 diabetes and we don't understand what insulin resistance means. And we were just seeing at that time point that cancer, most cancers, the common cancers, are very metabolism dependent. And we were finding that uh, mutations and enzymes of the Krebs cycle or the TCA cycle, same thing, mm-hmm. were tumor suppressors. And nobody had, could understand what the heck this meant. And so it was a time that is, at that time, through the current time, and I presume into the future, really has been hot in mm-hmm. science. So I had the opportunity to learn all of this uh, and share it with students and find ways to help them, I hope, not feel like this was memorizing a bunch of useless pathways, but was incredibly important physiology. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And so you talk about that path, your journey, um, and that really resonates you know, with me because you know, I think a lot of medical students, when they come to school, they kind of have a notion what their path is. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be a family practice doc. I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. I'm going to be an MD, PhD. There's all these kind of notions. But then, you know, med school is long. Mm-hmm. There's a, you, we expose the medical students to a lot of different fields. There's a wide variety of experiences they go through, and sometimes their paths switch. So have you ever had like conversations you know, with med students about their path and using your background kind of as a teaching moment? Uh, you know, I have a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's a great idea. I mean, I feel like I should probably think mm-hmm. about doing this more often now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I think that many of us maybe start on a path for one reason or another, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and find that when we are willing to be honest with ourselves and who we really are and what our strengths and passions are, they don't necessarily match up mm-hmm. with our started path. Not a lot of medical students know this, but there's something, you know, when you graduate medical school, you go to residency programs, and a fair amount of residents switch programs. Yeah. You know, they think, um, oh, you know, I'm definitely, you know, I'm going to go down this path. I'm going to be a general internist or a pediatrician. And they get a year in, and, you know, they realize that's not the path they wanted. And so when I did my training, I trained as a general psychiatrist, and then our first, our, our intern year, we had four, there was four of us, but then our program always expanded up to seven or eight. And then where those three or four other people came from were from other programs. And I think other, you know, certain disciplines are a little bit more accepting of, you know, outside residents. You know, in medicine, even though, like, kind of like the world of PhD, you think you're headed toward this way, and a lot of people try to talk you out of, like, switching, but nothing's ever final, final. If you become an, like, I remember I, I, I encountered an individual when I was doing my training in Washington, D.C., he was an ENT surgeon for many years, but kind of grew disillusioned of surgery and life changes were happening. So I decided to go back and do a psychiatry residency. And he just really enjoyed it. And so to me, that's just like an example of switching paths. So Dr. Lindsay, while I have you on the podcast, you mentioned biochemistry in the old curriculum. What what does biochemistry look like in the new curriculum, especially with all these, how you you call them, hot new changes? What what does biochemistry look like? So first of all, it's not one course. Mm -hmm. It's woven throughout the curriculum. It's um, there's fewer hours, and we try to spend more time, you know, emphasizing what's important. And again, I'd say from the physiologic perspective, uh, what's happening in the healthy body, what's happening in a body with disease, and how that affects the biochemistry. Um, during molecule cells and cancer, we talk about cancer metabolism. There's an uh, introduction to overall metabolism during the phase one foundations of medicine. Then molecule cells and cancer comes. Then we talk about metabolism during the unit called metabolism and reproduction, very much from the endocrine perspective and the liver perspective. Liver, anybody who goes to medical school will find out, is very important in metabolism and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And then we touch on it in uh, the circulation unit, in brain and behavior, and then into the third year. And tie it together very much with nutrition. Okay. Nutrition and the metabolism biochemistry are, are really tightly connected and, mm-hmm. and taught together. So I do know that there are two big anxieties for students who are about to start med school. Number one is gross anatomy, you know, the NAMI lab, things of that nature. And the second one is biochemistry. Biochemistry has a reputation of being, quote unquote, one of the hardest courses, I guess yeah. you can say, during the first two years. What would you say to that? What would you say to medical students about the biochemistry here? What, would, what advice would you give for incoming students? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, I would urge students to try to think about biochemistry from, again, physiology. What's happening in the body at what times? Mm-hmm. I think if you can understand and begin to think about from the feed, you know, what happens after you eat? What happens to the food we absorb? Where does it go? How is it utilized? What happens then when you've not eaten for a few hours? What is affected and what tissues? We're very much trying to to get students to visualize in their head what happens in adipose tissue, what's happening in the intestine, what's happening in the liver, in muscle at different times. 
So I would suggest, you know, if you're taking any biochemistries, try to start thinking big picture mm-hmm. as opposed to the individual chemical reactions. We spend very little time actually specifically on pathways and the details of pathways. In fact, I give out a metabolic map to the students that they use during their exams. Awesome. To really try to convince students, I don't expect you to memorize this. I expect you to be able to utilize it. So that's very different than when I came through medical school. I remember being tortured by the citric acid cycle and trying to memorize, you know, ATP, ADP, and that was very difficult for me. So I'm glad they get the map now. I wish, I, you know, it's probably a digital map, right? Is, is it a paper map or is it like... It, well, it's a PDF that comes uh, that, awesome. you know, that we share mm-hmm. during the exams mm-hmm. and it's the same one that they have for all of their studies. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, relative to the to the Krebs cycle, I expect students to understand the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. Why is it at the center of metabolism? Why is it so important in terms of the obesity epidemic and controlling metabolic rate? Mm-hmm. Not looking at and memorizing the steps of the cycle. So would you recommend um, any undergraduates who are interested in medical school, do you recommend they take a biochemistry course? Do you, I mean, do you discern a difference between the students that have had biochemistry in their background versus the ones that do not? I would say not necessarily. Okay. There are students who, and either it's just the way they, they think. I, I think biochemistry is very logical, and if you mm-hmm. think logically and you have some chemistry background, I think the students do fine without a biochemistry course. I've had other students who've taken biochemistry, even who have masters in biochemistry, and if they can't think logically about the physiology that's happening, they can mm. really struggle. Mm. Interesting. And where is the core? I mean, where is where is the thread? Where is biochemistry going in the curriculum? What new th- new plans are on the horizon? What new courses might be out there? Where, where do you see the curriculum going? That's a that's a marvelous question. I'm always trying to look for new ways of of helping students learn and engage. One of the things that I just did uh, in this past month is bring a um, what's called an indirect calorimeter. To class that measures metabolic rate and had the students come up with experiments to do. Mm. Uh, Like somebody who never has caffeine measured his metabolic rate and then slammed a Red Bull and measured his metabolic rate again (laughs) in front of the whole class. And it was kind of a revealing experiment. (laughs) Very cool. So, so, you know, trying to to bring in things like this, we we have a morning of a blood glucose lab. Yes. Is this the McDonald's experiment I've heard so much about? Tell tell, tell everyone about the McDonald's experiment. (laughs) So, uh, students can sign up for one of four different breakfasts, uh, okay. two of which do come from McDonald's, uh, others that, that do not. And everybody comes in fasting in the morning, takes an initial blood glucose. So I get glucometers for everybody in class. They take an initial blood glucose, a fasting blood glucose. Then at basically time zero, mm-hmm. everybody eats their breakfast, one of four different breakfasts. And... Uh, 30 minutes later, it takes another blood glucose, and we continue this. So they have a whole blood glucose curve for themselves, and um, there's about 25 students who've eaten each of the diets. So mm-hmm. then we can map this for the whole class. And during that time, we have um, diabetes uh, patients with diabetes come that are interviewed by dietitians and uh, healthcare providers, at the uh, physician. Um, and we have... Um, just various exercises to sort of pull together what happens with metabolism with high insulin, low insulin, mm-hmm. what's happening with diabetic ketoacidosis, etc. So it ends up being a whole four-hour activity. Wow. I know the med students, uh, for, I, get, I get the impression that the more popular one is because you buy the food for them, right? Yes. So like a lot of them are trying to gain on the McDonald's track for the free 
egg or sausage McMuffin, as it were. Correct. All right. Yeah. Cool. As long as we're talking about food, I think you've also instituted a really cool tradition here called breaking bread. Not to be confused with Breaking Bad, which I sometimes do because I watch that show. So tell, tell the listeners, what is Breaking Bread? Yeah. So first of all, this was not my idea initially. This came from somebody else. Oh, okay. And it um, is an activity where we come together at lunchtime and um, students are in groups with a faculty member and or a, often a dean, a leader in the, in the medical school curriculum. And in small groups of about 10 students and one faculty member share food traditions and healing traditions. And traditionally, this has all happened during phase one, where students have been learning about nutrition from a very scientific perspective. And this allows us to get more sort of to the social and cultural traditions and and blend them together. Can you tell about one memorable Breaking Bread uh, example? I mean, something that someone shared, either a student or a staff member that was really struck you or really left a good memory. So there I remember one student who gosh she's a she was an she is an Asian from Asian background and but I don't remember exactly from which country mm-hmm. that talked about her grandmother would place cups on the body of a sick person to help kind of suck out. I think they were warmed cups mm-hmm. to help suck out the evil Again, I'm going to nod like a a pretend I know what you're talking about. Go on. As as the healing tradition in their family. Mm -hmm. Uh, So people would just come in bringing, you know, different things. So would she do that to people there or just? Well, she didn't actually. I don't think she had the, you know, the the ability to warm the cups or whatever it was. And then people would bring, you know, different kinds of foods that they would have. Mm given when they were sick and what the traditions what i've loved what i love hearing dr Lindsay, it sounds like you know you've taken biochemistry which admittedly is probably one of the more anxiety provoking experiences for people coming into medical school and you've really turned it into a very educational dynamic fun course and i just love all these examples that you have going on to help teach the students about you know the pathways the enzymes everything that's going on um and it just sounds like you're doing a wonderful job Thank you. I have I I am very happy with the career path mm-hmm. that I've now chosen, and I feel like it fits with me. Well, I guess I'll I'll see you at Trader Joe's. Like we both love Trader Joe's, yes. and there's a running joke among us. Anytime we're at Trader Joe's, we run into one another. So um, I'll see you there, Doctor Lindsay. Great. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Doctor Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.